Hey, this is Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets, and you're listening to BT Talks Baseball on the 365 Sportscast Network. Take it away, Brett. Live from the launch pad in Huntington, New York, it's BT Talks Baseball, presented by 915 Construction and Design, home of Handyman Express. Now, here's Brett Topel. Hi, everybody, and welcome back inside BT Talks Baseball, presented by 915 Construction and Design, home of Handyman Express. So great to be back with you here for another episode of BT Talks Baseball. I know today is Championship Sunday, and I know many of you want to watch the AFC Championship game right now between the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs. The bad news is you cannot listen to it with sound because you have to listen to BT Talks Baseball. Uh, You can certainly watch the game, put it on mute for 57 minutes, and let's talk a little baseball. Looking forward to it. I have a great show lined up for today. Uh, Frank Catalanato, Major League veteran of 14 seasons, uh, Long Island's own Frank Catalanato, will be joining me in just a few minutes. Author John Pessa, who wrote a great, great biography about Yogi Berra. Can't wait to, to talk to him about that and dig in. And, of course, travel expert Glenn Hausman will be here for the baseball road trip, and we're going to talk about all the cool places you can find in St. Louis. So stand by for all of that. And also, if you're listening to us on the brand new 365 Sportscast app, which was made available for iPhones this week, then you don't have to hear this announcement. For those of you who have not yet downloaded the app, go download the app. Uh, just go to the, I- the iPhone app. The iTunes App Store. Download the 365 Sportscast app and you can listen to us very easily from there. So great to be with you. My producer, Mike Capisi, as always. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am well. I am ready for the show. Unfortunately, we have to start on sort of a sad note. It was a really tough week for for baseball, losing two Hall of Famers. Uh, Earlier this week, of course, Don Sutton passed away. Uh, Sutton won 324 games uh, during his 23-year career. Uh, Certainly a loss. And then... You know, just a few days ago, Hank Aaron passing away, and, and, and that's a biggie because Hank Aaron was one of the greatest living ball players. Uh, he was the rookie of the year in 1954. Uh, he was not an all-star in his rookie season, but he was an all-star for the 25 straight seasons that followed that. Unbelievable. Mike, 25 straight all-star games. You'll never see that again unless it's like a Mike Trout. That. <laughs> I don't even think Mike Trout can accomplish that. It's, it's just an unbelievable accomplishment, and he had so many. Of course, everybody knows about the 755 home runs that Aaron hit during his career. Uh, what's interesting, and, and, and baseball, the diehard baseball fans know, but I still find these statistics very interesting. Aaron never hit 50 home runs in a season, and possibly even more impressively, he never struck out 100 times in a season. These days, home run hitters are striking out 200-plus times a season, and it's, it's considered okay. It's commonplace. Aaron never struck out 100 times in a season. Just an incredible, incredible accomplishment. He had 2,297 RBIs. And what's really amazing is if you take away every single one of his 755 home runs, he would still have more than 3,000 hits for his career. If it's possible... And I don't even know if this is possible. If it's possible, I think Hank Aaron might have been a little underrated. What do you think, Mike? I mean, I agree. You think of, like, the greatest baseball players of all time. You think of the Babe Ruths, uh, let's say the Ken Griffey Juniors. His name doesn't often come up, and I don't understand why it doesn't come up. Well, he certainly was one of the great all-time players, and... and you know, he, he now unfortunately joins a list of so many great players that we've lost in the last year. Uh, I mentioned Don Sutton uh, also passed this week. Lou Brock, 
Bob Gibson, Al Kaline, Al Kaline, Whitey Ford, Joe Morgan, and of course, uh, Tom Seaver. Uh, so many uh, just legendary Hall of Famers. I mean, obviously, by definition, a Hall of Famer is legendary, but some of these names are just so... You know, it's really a shame. And to have them all, uh, you know, gone within a 12-month period is, is, is very, very painful. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about stuff that happened uh, in today's game. The Yankees actually had a, a good week. Uh, they made a trade with Pittsburgh and uh, acquired Jamison Tyon uh, for four prospects. Uh, really solid, solid acquisition. Uh, he won 14 games in 2018. Injuries have certainly slowed him down. Uh, Mike, you're a Yankee fan, so I want to get your take. But, you know, a, a rotation of Garrett Cole, uh, Kluber, uh, and, and, and Tyon, I think, is, uh, really can be impressive if everything falls the right way for the Yanks. I completely agree with that. And you look at someone like Tyon, he just two and three years ago, he had a 320 ERA, pitched 191 innings. I think if he's healthy, you have a legitimate number three behind uh, Mick Kluber or even a Severino. You know, someone tweeted this week, and I can't take credit for it, but if, if uh, the Yankees rotation was Cole, Kluber, and Tyon in 2018, they would be absolute favorites to win the World Series. We don't know what they're going to be in 2021. Certainly Garrett Cole, uh, we expect to be himself, but Kluber's a little bit of an unknown. And, you know, listen, um, Severino is going to be coming back, uh, hopefully from Tommy John, and if he comes back strong, the Yankees have a, a really, really, really solid rotation. They had a very good offseason so far. Turning to the Mets... Um, you know, a lot of people wanted the Mets to sign George Springer. Obviously, that is not going to happen. He signs with Toronto. Six years, $150 million. Listen, I think that George Springer would have fit in very, very nicely with the Mets. However, I am not, you know, crestfallen that, that, that he ended up with Toronto. Um, I think that, you know, you could still go after somebody like a Jackie Bradley Jr. to play center field. Um, you know, I think... You know, they could still go after somebody like a Trevor, Trevor Bauer to be a starting pitcher. And to me, one of the greatest uh, needs would be the bullpen. So I really still want Brad Hand. Um, you know, the Mets haven't done anything uh, in the past week or so. Lindor obviously was uh, the earth-shattering uh, the move. But Mike, uh, what do you think about the Mets? You know, Kiki Hernandez signed with the Red Sox this year. Uh, th this uh, week, he also was somebody that was uh, rumored to possibly going to the Mets, but he signed a two-year deal with Boston. Uh, what do you think the Mets have to do, or what do you think the Mets might do over the next week or so? Well, obviously, you want someone like a Trevor Bauer in your rotation as one of the elite starters in baseball. But I think their biggest need is a reliever, and I think Brad Hand is the guy that they need to go after, and it's going to end up being Blue Jays and the Mets, it looks like, uh, going for both of them. Yeah, it's ironic that, once again, it's the Blue Jays and the Mets, uh, the Blue Jays landing uh, uh, Springer, and, uh, you know, I think it would be a little bit... Uh, disheartening if, if, if they got hand as well. Um, but we will see. We will see what happens. Um, I think Bauer would, would turn the Mets into, I mean, the Mets rotation. We talked about the Yankees rotation a few minutes ago. The Mets rotation with DeGrom, Bauer, Stroman, uh, Carrasco, and, you know, potentially Syndergaard when he comes back. You know, they're, they're saying Syndergaard, uh, possibly a June comeback from the Tommy John surgery. I actually, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that because uh, one thing, if you know anything about Noah Syndergaard, he is absolutely ready to go. There's been plenty of videos that have been uh, circulating on Twitter and, and other social media that he's been throwing. And uh, it looks like, of course, throwing without a shirt. That's what Noah does. But, uh, you know, it definitely seems like the Mets rotation uh, with or without Bauer is going to be really good. If they can sign Trevor Bauer, that just puts it in, in uh, you know, rarefied air and certainly would be the the top rotation uh, in the National League for sure. 
All right. Uh, it's time to get to my first guest. I'm so excited to have uh, Frank Catalano with us today. Frank was uh, drafted in the 10th round of the 1992 Major League Draft by the Detroit Tigers. And he probably doesn't remember this, but just a few days after he was drafted, he got to meet me in the offices of the old Smithtown News. He went on to play 14 years in the big leagues, mostly for the Tigers, Rangers, and Blue Jays, although he did finish his career with his hometown New York Mets. He's a proud Long Island native and resident. Frank, welcome to BT Talks Baseball. Thanks for having me, Brett. I appreciate it. Oh, it's always good to talk baseball with you, Frank. And, and I was wondering if you could just talk about what it felt like to get drafted and, and, and knowing that you were starting your journey to the majors. Well, it was awesome. You know, I was an 18-year-old kid, and, um, you know, uh, just weeks before I got drafted, uh, you know, I, I had no idea that that was even a possibility. Um, and then uh, when it actually happened, I realized that, uh, hey, you know, maybe I have a chance to uh, to live out my childhood dream of uh, of playing Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of work that I had to do ahead of me. And I knew that. But uh, it was just a great feeling to uh, to know that uh, a major league organization wanted me and, and I'd have the opportunity. So you went on to uh, to eventually get with the Tigers, and you and you did play for Detroit in in Detroit for three seasons before uh, moving on to Texas to play for the Rangers. And and that first season with Texas in two thousand, you really had a a, a really important splash uh, early on in the season. In in thirteen at bats, you collected ten hits and three walks uh, in thirteen straight plate appearances, I should say, uh, which still stands as a Texas Rangers record. That's about as locked in as a player can be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's locked in, and especially that early in the season when you uh, do that, your your average. I think my average was at the time was like 240 or something like that. But then when you do that, it goes up to like 400. So uh, it was nice to, uh, and it gave me a lot of confidence looking up at the scoreboard after getting those uh, 10 hits in a row. Um, and uh, it was, you know, I was just I was locked in, and, and I was um, seeing the ball great, and I got some some breaks along the way, and. Uh, it was a good feeling to to start with a new team to, to start like that. When you're in a, a, a streak like that of 13 straight plate, plate appearances where you're reaching base, is that something you're aware of? I mean, at what point did you know that was going on? Uh, yeah, it was probably after the the eighth or ninth. Um, I realized because obviously there were some walks um, uh, that were mixed in there, but um, you know, it, it's, it is something that, you know, as a hitter, eventually, you know, you might go three for three, one game and then uh, with a walk. And then the next game you go four for four and, you know, you're thinking to yourself, Hey man, I'm, I got a, a, a pretty good streak going right here. And uh, it seems like, you know, the more you think about it, um, you know, it, 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 it seemed like for me that the pressure started to mount um, instead of just I, I would have rather not know about it and, and not really uh, think about it. But it seems like uh, it, the pressure does mount and you try a little bit harder once you know it. The following season, Frank, in 2001, uh, you had what was, uh, to that point, uh, your best year in the majors. You batted 330, which was fifth in the American League. You, you hit 11 homers, 31 doubles, 15 stolen bases. Was that the season where you felt you really hit your stride in the majors? Yeah, I think so. That was the season that kind of put me on the map and, and made me realize that I could be uh, an everyday player and a starter uh, in the league. And 
Um, you know, playing in Texas, it, it was that ballpark in Arlington was my favorite uh, ballpark to play in. And um, it was uh, the fans there were great. And it was just it was it was great to to, to not only, you know, what you get to the big leagues and, and you're happy. But then once you, you know, put up a season where you feel like, hey, I'm going to stay here for a while. Uh, it was it was pretty special. And I knew that, uh, you know, I, I was I was a big leaguer and I could could hang with those guys. One of the things that I think was so impressive about that season as well is, you know, you mentioned that you you knew you were there to stay, but you also you played five different positions that season. You played first, second, third, left and right field. First of all, um, had, had you ever played all those positions in a single season uh, at any level? And how much of a challenge is it for you uh, as an everyday player, but not necessarily knowing where you're going to be on a daily day to day uh, basis? Yeah, no, I, I hadn't played all those positions. It, it seemed like it just, uh, it was, uh, it came to be a necessity. Some guys got hurt and uh, I had to play these different positions. And, and it was, it was difficult at first because not knowing, you know, going to the ballpark, not knowing if I'm going to be in the lineup and if I am, you know, where I'm going to be playing, uh, it was tough to prepare mentally for that. You know, I'm the type of guy that likes to, uh, prepare and visualize the night before, uh, and not being able to do that was a little bit difficult, but you get used to it and, and you realize, all right, well, Hey, I got to prepare for every single spot, every single position that I might play in. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely was a blessing that they did, um, want to use me at different positions. Cause I, I felt like it, uh, it made me more valuable and, and it definitely extended my career. One of the things in 2003, you moved on to the Toronto Blue Jays. And, and, and once again, not unlike uh, when you quickly made your mark in Texas, you quickly made your mark in Toronto because uh, you had a game where, and you and I have spoken about this game in the past, but it, it's, it's such an impressive uh, accomplishment that I wanted to take some time to talk about it again tonight uh, when you went six for six. And, you know, it's one thing to go three for three or four for four because you're, you're obviously locked in for a game, but six for six is not... Uh, common. It's quite rare, as a matter of fact. And uh, you that's a that's also a Toronto record that stands to this day. Can you talk a little bit about that day? Yeah, it was, you know, it's just one of those days that uh, that I'll remember forever because I was I was so locked in and the ball was uh, the ball looked like uh, a beach ball coming in. The, the game slowed down. And, and as a hitter, you know, those days are few and far between. But um, you definitely remember them. And, and, you know, when you can be up at the batter's box and and the game slows down and you're, you're guessing right. Uh, and you just know that, uh, you know, if he throws the ball over the plate, I'm going to put a good swing on it and I'm going to hit it hard. Um, that's all you can ask for. And, and, and obviously once you hit the ball, you don't know exactly, you know, you have no control of whether somebody's going to catch it or not. Uh, so obviously I did get some luck, uh, and I, and I did find some holes, uh, you know, all the balls weren't scorched. They weren't all hit that hard, but I did find some holes and, uh, it's just a good feeling when you're up there and you know you're you're going to put a good at bat, uh, a good swing on the ball, a good at bat, and um, uh, you know could, because there are so many other times when you're slumping and you know you feel lost at the plate and uh, you know it, it's uh, it goes the other way as well. So when you get those those times that you're feeling good, uh, you remember them. So I'm sure if you had three more at bats that day, you probably would have went nine for nine, right? Uh, well, listen, I, you know, I feel like 
uh, I was going to put a good swing on every single pitch up there. So, yeah, I, I, I told the guys, uh, I think Reed Johnson said, hey, it's only the, the fourth inning. You've already got four at-bats. He said, you might get six at-bats. And I said, listen, if I get six at-bats, I'm going to get six hits because I just know I'm going to hit the ball hard somewhere. And luckily, I was able to, uh, to get those at-bats. How important, how important is it to have a game like that? And how does a game like that um, kind of affect the rest of uh, your, not your, the season necessarily, because obviously uh, baseball is very day-to-day and it's, it's, you're facing a different pitcher every day. And, you know, it, that, that has a lot to do with, with how you're going to, uh, your approach both mentally and, uh, you know, physically. But um, how much does a day like that, six for six, uh, instill your confidence moving forward? Uh, it, it's so tremendous. I mean, you know, they talk about it all the time, how, how the game of baseball there, you know, you have to have confidence and, uh, uh, it, it's so true. I mean, if you go up to the batter's box and, and you don't feel like you're going to get a hit, I mean, you're not going to get a hit. So, uh, when you have a day like that, it just lets you know, uh, you know, that, Hey, um, you know, I, I, I've got a chance every time I come up to the, to, to the plate. And, uh, and that's what it felt like. And, you know, it, you know, don't get me wrong. There were times that year that I slumped and there were times that, uh, you know, I didn't feel good at the plate, but at least it kind of gets you off the hook a little bit and lets you know, Hey, you know, I'm seeing the ball good. And, and uh, you know, this confidence is going to carry me through uh, another week or two weeks or, or more. You played for the Toronto Blue Jays for a few seasons, then you returned to Texas for a, a second, uh, second little career there, and, and you played one season in Milwaukee before spending part of the 2010 season, which was would end up be your final season with the New York Mets. And while it's certainly not your most successful season, uh, you didn't play that many games for for the Mets. Uh, what was it like for, for you to finish your career playing in New York? Oh, it was awesome. You know, I've always, I had always dreamed about playing in New York um, and to be able to finish my career, uh, you know, being able to sleep in my own bed and, and, and commute to work and have my family and friends there and, uh, you know, play at City Field. It was, it was really awesome. And, uh, you know, it, when uh, Omar Manaya called me during that off season and asked me if I'd be interested, you know, I, I jumped at it because, uh, I figured uh, what a great opportunity to end my career in New York. And, and I'm so glad I did it. Obviously, it didn't work out and I wasn't there for that long. Didn't get to play many games, like you said. But it, it was nice to, that I have uh, those memories. And uh, it was nice that my family and friends were able to, to come out and see the games, uh, you know, that were so close. You know, looking back at it, uh, you know, as a kid who grew up in Smithtown, Long Island, and uh, you got to uh, play 14 years in the majors and, like you said, finish your career playing uh, for the Mets. Uh, I mean, do you ever just take a step back and, and, and what, what's your, what is your overall take on, uh, on your major league career? Well, it, my take is, is I, I, I was so blessed and so fortunate. You know, there's so many kids that um, dream of it and would love to be major league, a major league baseball player. And, and I, I'm one of the kids that got that opportunity. Uh, I never lose sight of that. And, and I'm thankful for, for, for that opportunity. I thank God all the time for, um, for putting me in that position and, and, you know, helping me realize my dreams. So, um, it's, yeah, there's a lot of times I have to pinch myself and, and uh, say, man, I can't believe, you know, I actually did that. And with every year that passes by, 
it uh, it's almost more amazing to me. Like I watched these guys on TV and I was like, wow, I was, you know, I was one of those guys at one point. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I have uh, the memories and, you know, my dad videotaped, uh, you know, taped every single game that I played in. And, and uh, it's great to be able to look back and look at pictures and videos and stuff like that. So uh, again, very fortunate and, and uh, very lucky um, to be able to play in the major leagues. Frank, I know recently you've gotten into coaching. You were the head coach at uh, New York Institute of Technology. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to be on that side of it? And, and is managing something that you would be interested in doing in professional baseball? I actually loved it. I didn't know, uh, you know, coaching was never something that I thought um, I'd want to do. Uh, but when I got the opportunity and, and I coached these guys, um, I loved it and, and I'm passionate about it. And, you know, um, I, I learned a lot over the years uh, in, in minor, the minor leagues and in the major leagues. And to be able to, um, you know, help these guys with not only the mechanics of the swing and fielding, but also the mental part of the game. You know, I'm able to, to, to talk to 18, 19, 20 year old kids uh, and help them and teach them uh, and teach them things that I learned when, you know, I was in the major leagues and, you know, in, in my mid twenties and 30 years old, 30 years old. Um, so uh, it's, I, I love it. Uh, I loved it. And, and unfortunately, uh, the school dropped athletics uh, after COVID hit, and uh, I would love to uh, to manage in, at you know uh, in the minor leagues and the major leagues at some point. Uh, you know, once my girls, my kids are are out of the house potentially, but I definitely want another crack at uh, at college coaching, and hopefully, an opportunity will will arise at some point. You know, Frank, before I let you go, and we're talking to Frank Catalanato, a uh, 14-year Major League veteran, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Uh, you and your wife, Barbara, uh, have a fantastic foundation, the Frank Catalanato Foundation, and I wanted to give you a few minutes to, to talk about that and, and let people know, know what that's all about and how they could help. Yeah, so the Frank Catalanato Foundation um, uh, is a foundation that Barbara, my wife, and I started uh, in 2001. Uh, my daughter was born with a vascular birthmark on her nose, and uh, we kind of had nowhere to go. The, the local doctors really didn't know what they were doing, uh, you know, and, and she wasn't getting the proper help. So luckily, uh, we were able to get in contact with the Vascular Birthmark Foundation, and they helped, uh, they helped my daughter Morgan out, uh, finding her the right uh, surgery options, laser surgeries, and, uh, you know, after a few years, these uh, this vascular birthmark w w was co totally gone, and uh, so we we were very grateful and thankful for for how the Vascular Birthmark Foundation uh, helped us out. So we started the Frank Catalanato Foundation, and and we help promote promote awareness and and also raise funds for the Vascular Birthmark Foundation, and and we run a golf outing every year um, in the summer, and it's uh, it's been great. You know, we've raised a lot of money for them and, and for our foundation. And uh, I'm, I'm just happy to be able to give back to them because uh, they helped us out so much. Well, Frank, I've known you and your family for many years, and it's, it's been great, uh, so great to watch uh, your career and see your success. And I thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us tonight on, on BT Talks Baseball. Thanks a lot, Brett. Take care. Talk to you soon. That's Frank Catalanato, just a, a really classy guy and uh, somebody who's very proud uh, of, of where he's from, and, and he, he actually lives uh, in, on Long Island still, and uh, he's just 
the work he does with the Frank Catalanato Foundation, him and his wife, uh, is just tremendous. So I thank him for, for joining us today. Okay, so let's move on. It is time for BT's Bookshelf. And as always, BT's Bookshelf is sponsored by SiteMD. BT's Bookshop Shelf is brought to you by SiteMD. SiteMD is the proud to be the official LASIK provider of the New York Mets. Their advanced LASIK technology is helping professional athletes and patients discover the world of clear vision beyond their glasses and contacts. Interested in LASIK? Find out more at www.sitemd.com slash LASIK. That's www.sitemd.com slash LASIK. All right, so... I'm really fortunate tonight to have a author on the show that is really um, a, a true journalist in every sense of the word. Uh, John Pessa is a founding editor of ESPN, the magazine, uh, who was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for editing and writing um, and, and did a huge examination on the role of racism in Major League Baseball. Uh, he's an award-winning 45-year journalist. Um, and the author of two books, he's worked for newspapers, magazines, and he's offered two books, uh, including a book called The Game, Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers, and the book we're going to talk about tonight, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask, which has been called the definitive biography uh, of Yogi Berra, uh, the New York Yankees icon, winner of 10 World Series championships, and the, really the most quoted player in baseball history. Uh, so without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome to BT Talks Baseball author John Pessa. John, how are you? Good. How are you tonight? I am well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I was just telling uh, the audience that uh, your first, first book, which was phenomenal, The Game Inside the Secret World of Major League's Power Brokers, was, was fascinating. But the, your newest book, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask, is really, really a phenomenal biography. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. I'll tell you, it was really a, a passion project. Um, my father's favorite player, and it was just such a delight. I mean, he lived an incredible life, a very full, you know, right up until the end. He died at 90. One of the things about Yogi is I think he's really uh, certainly one of the most intriguing and, and misunderstood players in baseball history. Would you agree? Yeah, no question. I mean, he was, I'll tell you what. Um, I, you know, I'm a baby boomer. I grew up on Long Island. Um, Mickey Mantle was my idol, like every other Yankee fan in the New York area. Uh, Yogi, when when I came of age in 1960, was a backup outfielder, good player, hit 20 home runs um, for a couple of seasons, but he wasn't the dynamic player that my father always uh, told me about. And when I dug into this, I realized that this is a guy who was the best player on the best team in baseball history, and that was the 1949. 1953 Yankees, which won, who won five straight World Series. And this is a guy who, I mean, DiMaggio was at the end of his career. Mantle was at the very beginning of his career. And there's uh, Yogi Berra hitting 25, 30 home runs a year, 100 RBIs, batting two, 285 to 320 a year, and catching 142, 43 games every season out of 140, 154 games. And the reason for that uh, Casey Stengel said was whenever I have Mr. Barrow behind the plate, we win World Series. Um, the, the guy was just an incredible, incredible player, much better than I think people um, think. And I think that's because his persona, um, the caricature of his persona overwhelms, you know, what he was as a baseball player. 
Yeah, certainly. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. One of the things I wanted to start with, one of my favorite parts of the and the book is is just so great and and it's it looks like a really long book but it, it's such an easy read and one of the things I loved was how detailed all of the stories were especially about his family life growing up in St. Louis and I would think that would be one of the most challenging parts of the book for you to research no question and you know sometimes you know you just get lucky and I found three gentlemen who grew up on the, uh, in the same neighborhood with Yogi and we got together on the hill in St. Louis where Yogi grew up, and that's the Italian quarter of, of St. Louis. And we spent three and a half hours um, just talking about what it was like to grow up during the Depression um, with Yogi and Joe Garagiola, who was, lived across the street. Um, and we had two of those sessions, and then I just had them on call um, for hours at a time, and they were just terrific about filling in all the blanks about what it was like, um, what the era was like, how good of an athlete Yogi was, that basically everything he tried, he was the best at. And also just how he was the same kind of guy um, as a kid as he was as a, as an adult and, and, and into, into a Hall of Fame career, which was he was just a, a regular guy. And even though he was always the best player. So, yeah, it, it was challenging. Another person who was terrific was um, his wife, um, Carmen, his wife of 65 years. Her sister, Bonnie, who was four years younger than, than her, um, still alive, um, still lives in St. Louis, very sharp. She became a, a good friend and a terrific source who told me all about what it was like you know, with Yogi and Carmen and filling in those years. So, you know, sometimes you're, you, you're, you'd rather be lucky than good. And, and I got really lucky with some really, really great people. Well, that's absolutely true. And, you know, you mentioned Joe Gar Garagiola, and I, I, I'm not sure everybody knows just how intertwined those families were. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship uh, Yogi and Joe had? Sure. I mean, uh, Yogi's uh, father, Pietro, and Joe's father, Giovanni, were uh, they grew up together in a little town um, outside of Milan, Italy. Um, they both they came to America a year apart um, and uh, eventually made their way to St. Louis, where they bought a house across the street from each other when Yogi was five years old and Joe was four. And as Joe Garagiola you know, liked to say, he didn't know a day in his life when, when he didn't know Yogi Berra. And they did everything together. They went everywhere together. They did everything together. Um, Yogi, one of the really interesting things about Yogi is as talkative as he was on the field, and he really was talkative. And make sure I tell you the Hank Aaron story about that. And and with all the quotes and, and all the Yogiisms, and there's eight quotes in Bartlett's famous quotations more than any U.S. president, he was a, a very quiet guy off the field. And Joe, as I think everybody probably knows, was a very chatty and talkative uh, man who ended up having a Hall of Fame career as a as a broadcaster and as a TV personality. And they, you know, he, he did all the talking for the two of them. And uh, they were they were just super close. And um, uh, you know, right till right till right to the end. Of course, you mentioned. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me also add that you know another person who was terrific um, in, in in telling me about uh, growing up was Joe Garagiola, Joe Garagiola Jr., who you know knew Yogi for for basically his entire life. And when I really needed his mother, who is in her 90s, um, Joe would go to her with questions, and he'd come back with detailed answers about you know double dating uh, with uh, with with uh, Yogi and Carmen and 
and uh, you know each other's weddings, which they were both best men at each other's weddings. Um, so you know Joe Garazola Jr. was and, and his mom were terrific parts of this book too. No, it sounds like you had some tremendous sources, and you know having written five books myself, I I can imagine what your feeling was like as you were getting these stories told to you. Uh, it must have been just like absolutely incredible as as they kind of piled on, and you realized how um, illustrious this book was going to be. Uh, I'll tell you what, I ended up um, cutting, the, the book is 506 pages long. It's written in the style of a, of a novel, which I think is one of the reasons it, it reads fast, because there's no according to or, or citing of newspapers. It's all scenes and dialogue. And um, I ended up cutting 60 pages out of the book before I sent it to the publisher. And that was, uh, it, it really hurt. There were a lot of stories that I just left out because I knew there was no room for them. I mean, like I said, he led a very, very rich life. I know you, I would love to hear the Hank Aaron story. Unfortunately, that story is more timely today than it, than it might've been. And uh, of course, with Hank uh, passing away this week, can you tell us that story? Sure. Uh, 1957 World Series, Yogi would talk to everyone when he was behind the plate. And most people took it good naturedly and, you know, indulge, indulge Yogi, but there they are in the World Series and Yogi looks up and says, Hank, your bat, you know, the label, your bat's pointing in the wrong direction. You're going to break your bat. And he, and he says, Yogi, I'm up here to hit, not to read. <laughs> and uh, they were just, they, they ended up being good friends um, and stars together on the uh, memorabilia circuit. You know, a lot of, you know, big demand for both of their autographs and long lines when they would go to the Hall of Fame. Um, the, the Saturday of induction weekend is just a huge um, uh, autograph uh, day. Everyone has their own setups and the two, the lines for Hank Aaron, the, the lines for Yogi Berra were probably the two longest in Cooperstown. You know, John, you touched upon this earlier, and, and it seems like Yogi was always overshadowed by, you know, he had so many superstar teammates, uh, uh, and he's remembered as this great character of the game, but, and you mentioned some of these uh, accolades earlier, you know, three-time MVP, 18-time All-Star, and an unbelievably 10-time world champion. He was a fantastic ball player. I'll tell you, you know, like I said, I, w I grew up with Mickey Mantle being my idol. And you, you think about the Yankees, um, Mount Rushmore. And, you know, it's Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, and Mickey Mantle. And that's the way I started the book about halfway through my research. And it took me four and a half years to write this book. About halfway through my research, I realized that there had to be a four A and B. And honestly, by the time I finished the um the, the book and talking to all the people and how feared of a, of a hitter he was. I talked to a lot of pitchers um, that I, I decided, I mean, this guy had to be number, had to be the fourth guy on Mount Rushmore. So, so make their five busts, but you know, he was one of the greatest players of all time. And I just don't think that people think of him that way. I mean, he played the most important position and he was the best defensive catcher in baseball. Um, which is interesting because for his first two years, the pitchers hated pitching to him because he had no idea how to catch until Bill Dickey, as Yogi said, learned him his experience and taught him how to catch. And once he taught him how to catch, they were, he, he was unparalleled. That's great. You know, you mentioned this book took you four and a half years to write. And when I read that, I was uh, when I was doing research for, for this interview, I was like, wow, that is incredible because, you know, I just was wondering what the process was like and when you were satisfied that you had what you needed. You mentioned you had to cut out a bunch of, of information. How did you really decide what was going to be in this book? 
the timeline um, comes first and just, you know, tracing the arc and a lot of the stories. I had to choose between, give you a great example. I mean, Yogi was one of the greatest pitchmen in history. I mean, he did commercials from everything from, you know, cigarettes to, to um, shampoo to uh, Hanes underwear to Budweiser beer uh, and Miller Lite. And um, I wanted to get that across. And there was a great commercial with him um, talking to a cat to sell um, a cat food in 1962. And, uh, you know, I told that story because it's just a terrific story. And uh, I also had a great story about him upstaging the Aflac duck in 2004. Um, the guys from that campaign spent a lot of time with me and we really got into it, but, you know, I ended up mentioning that he upstaged the Aflac duck, but you just, you know, it's like, okay, I can't do this again. So that one had to go and that really hurt. And there were so many examples of that, um, both, you know, on the field, off the field, you know, he, he was a star of, um, uh, he was on television all the time. Uh, you know, one of the things that was really interesting, I mean, I'm a baby boomer and we grew up as the first generation watching television and Yogi's career tracked that. And he was on every um, television show from, you know, the Milton Berle to, to Ed Sullivan, to Perry Como, to uh, Jackie Gleason. And this is back in those days. These are all appointment TV. You know, there's no internet. There's no uh, VCR. You know, you, you either watched it or you missed it. And all of America watched Ed Sullivan. And there's Yogi Berra talking to Ed, waving to the crowd. Um, he was uh, on Phil Silvers, where he played a Confederate officer um, opposite of a young Dick Van Dyke. He was in the movies with uh, Marilyn Monroe in one movie and per and um, Cary Grant and um, the name escapes me for that uh, Doris Day in in another. I mean, I mean, we're talking about you know A level stars and Yogi. I mean, he was one of the most recognizable people in America. So yeah, it was hard to decide what to what to cut out, but um, you know, I think what emerged is is a is a portrait of a very uh, gracious. I mean, a great ball player, but a gracious, humble man. And that, you know, when you're that good and you and you stay that level-headed and that grounded, that's a unique combination. Uh, it really is, and 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 like you said, he Yogi really transcended baseball. And before before I let you go, John, I have to ask you. You know, he's he's clearly always considered one of the most quotable players in in baseball history, or he's one of the most quotable people in American history, quite frankly. Like as you mentioned, right. what what are a couple of your favorites, and did you learn any that you hadn't heard before? Uh, I'll tell you what, the, my, my two favorites, I heard most of them. I mean, there were some, but the, the one, the, my two favorites, and, and I'll tell you why they both have reasons, is one was I never said everything I said. <laughs> and I love that because, you know, Joe Garagiola played a pretty big role in popularizing, you know, in spreading, uh, he was kind of like the Johnny Appleseed of yogiisms. And, you know, he, he, you know, if it sounded like something Yogi would say, Joe would put it out there, and so did writers. So, you know, Yogi estimated he said about 80, 85% of the things he said. So I love that one. And I really love the, um, you know, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. And the reason, <laughs> besides the fact that it's funny, is that I spent a lot of time driving up and back from Long Island to Montclair, New Jersey, where he lives. And sure enough, you come to the place where there's a fork in the road. And right now, there's also a, a nice-sized rock with with it carved in, you know, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. And either way you go on that road, it, it's a long circular road. When you come to the end, it, 
it gives you the same street, and that's the street that Yogi's house was on. So it made perfect sense, even though it was funny and sounded kind of crazy. The book is Yogi, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. John Pessa, it is a tremendous, tremendous read, and it is a tremendous uh, pleasure to have you on BT Talks Baseball. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Oh, my pleasure. You have a great night. You as well. All right. It, it really, you know, um, it's one of those books that you might say, oh, well, I don't really, I'm not a Yankee fan. I'm, I'm not a Yogi Berra fan. Um, but it's really a great read. And Yogi Berra really had a fascinating, fascinating life. Okay. We are almost time. It is almost time for the baseball road trip, but we will break for 60 seconds so you can hear from my presenting sponsor, 915 Construction and Design. 915 Construction and Design and Handyman Express have been serving Long Islanders for decades and are dedicated to providing customers with the highest quality work and overall customer service. From planning your job to making the final touch-ups, you'll experience the gold standard of home repairs and renovations. No matter how big or small your project may be, their talented and experienced contractors and handymen are prepared to take on the job. Whether you need to have them hang a picture frame, fix a faucet, or completely renovate your bathroom or kitchen, by calling 915 Construction and Design and Handyman Express, you can trust that your home or business is in good hands. Reach out today at 915cd.com or call 516-924-2400. 915 Construction and Design, home to Handyman Express. Proud presenting sponsors of BT Talks Baseball. And I am absolutely proud that Jamie and John at 915 Construction and Design and Handyman Express are my presenting sponsor. Great to have them along with me. And it is time now for the baseball road trip, which is brought to you each week by Wanderology, your one-stop luxury travel agency that handles everything for you so you can relax knowing you've le left your vacation planning to the experts. Wanderology's mission is very simple, to help you plan a trip that you'll never forget and to make it easier than ever. Every journey starts with a conversation, so reach out to Rebecca at Wanderology today at wanderology.com or 516-636-TRIP. Be sure to mention BT Talks Baseball for a special booking discount. Wanderology, life is short, the world is wide. And now it is time once again for the baseball road trip. And I'm extremely honored, as always, to have the host of the No Vacancy podcast. Uh, and he does so many other great things in the travel industry. But what he does best at this point in his life is come on with me every Sunday night at around this time, although we're a little later than usual. Glenn, how are you, my friend? I'm doing so well, Brett Topel. You know what? You are right. This is the highlight of my week. I don't know why I bother with anything else anymore. I don't either. I think that you should just be doing <laughs> research for this. Um, and, uh, you know, I could say this was planned. I should probably say it's planned. But, you know, we just spoke yeah. to author uh, John Pessa, who wrote a fantastic book about Yogi Berra. And we talked a lot about Yogi's hometown of St. Louis. And I think, Glenn, mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. I think you're going to be talking about St. Louis tonight, are you not? Oh, yeah, I am. St. Louis, you've got to love St. Louis. Gateway to the West. You know, I absolutely love it. But one thing I love more than St. Louis spread is amazing barbecue. And St. Louis is, you know, affiliated with barbecue. You've got uh, you've got great type of barbecue. Hey, they even got a cut of ribs named after them, St. Louis ribs. Now, one of the reasons why I love barbecue, because like baseball, it's all American, Brett Topel. It's one of the few foods that are actually created authentically here in the United States. And if you go to Pappy's Smokehouse in downtown, 
You're going to have an absolutely great time over there because it is in the heart of St. Louis. But oddly enough, they're cooking Memphis-style ribs, Brent. I don't know how that works, but somehow their dry rub, instead of the St. Louis style of doing a wet rub, is absolutely amazing because it's slow-smoked over apple and cherry wood. Brett, I'm starved. I want these ribs right now. They're just that good. Uh, you and me both, Glenn. And I, I believe uh, that their, their ribs have been recognized as the best in America. Uh, they have been. Food Network said they are some of the best ribs in the are the actual the best ribs in America. And recently, because of the COVID crisis, Brett, um, Esquire magazine, they put out an article on 100 restaurants America cannot afford to lose. And Pappy's was one of those on the list. It is just that great. It's routinely voted the best barbecue in town. And I will tell you, I'm a man who loves barbecue. I'm a man who goes to barbecue whenever I'm in a barbecue city. And I freaking love Pappy's Smokehouse. You know, Glenn, I have to tell you, you know, I, I spent uh, a good amount of time in St. Louis doing research for a book uh, several years ago. And uh, it's really uh, such an underrated city. I don't think people realize uh, uh, how great St. Louis is, and the food scene is phenomenal, as you said. Talk, yep. to, me, talk to me a little bit about uh, where, you, where you like to go for breakfast in St. Louis. All right. So, again, I'm trying to think downtown. And it happens to be because the convention center is in that area. That's generally the type of area I'm in. Um, so there's this really cool place that I like called uh, Rooster. And why I like it, because it's um, got very focused on that farm-to-table thing. And to me, that just screams of fresh ingredients. And that's what we really want. They've also got local coffees, local craft beers, and all that kind of stuff. Mimosas, all those great drinks for the morning, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, it's a European urban-style cafe. But let me tell you, they are dealing with um, locals here. So you go in there, you can get your chicken and turkey sourced from uh, Buttonwoods Farms nearby. Sausage and beef cuts come from another ranch nearby. Everything is really nearby over there. But if I'm going to go there, I'm going to want something like their pork slinger, which is sausage, bacon, breakfast potatoes, eggs, sausage gravy, served over thick cut toast. Mm-mm-mm. Glenn, I, I think, love it. Or you get one of those. Yeah, I'm, yeah? So, I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. I think, I think in St. Louis that's referred to as the diet plate. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Brett, I got to tell you, I am in another stratosphere today because I'm thinking about this food, and it's hard for me to give you a little chance to talk because I just want to talk about how much I love Rooster, although unlike Roosters, I like sleeping in after I go see in a ball game late at night. Glenn, it's okay. I will let you speak, but I will remind you that I do have, I do have the button uh, with my friend, my, my producer Mike next to me, and we can cut you off at any time. So you just keep talking. Yeah. But but the thing I, about, I know. Yeah, the thing about St. Louis food is it it is very hearty. It's barbecue. It's 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 mm-hmm. thick. It's rich. But oh my gosh, it's so delicious. Well, you know, you got to think. You got to you got to eat up those calories before you go and explore the gateway to the west over there. Taking you know, doing a Lewis and Clark, traveling all the way on uh, rivers and stuff like that. So eat up. But um, Brett, you know, beyond food, I also love um, I also like St. Louis because I love being outdoors there. It's just such a fun place to be able to walk around and explore. You know, I, one of the places that uh, I know you want to talk about is the Gateway Arch. And, you know, often when, mm-hmm, you, when mm-hmm. you talk about cities, you know, you, you, you try to avoid, you know, some kind of tourist attractions and tourist traps. Right. But I, I have to tell you, the, ga- the Gateway Arch, though, is, is amazing, and it's something that everybody yep. needs to see. Yeah, man. That's why, I, that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about it today. Because, quite frankly, I could tell you all these weird places, and they're cool. But this is one of the coolest things that you've got to see. Not just because it's gorgeous, not just because that 
great arch shape is uh, inspired design by Finnish-American architect uh, Eero Saarinen. Now, he is one of the world's most famous architects of that mid-century modern phase. It's a look that I personally love. It's a look that I've taken on in some of the shows that I do on the internet. But for you guys out there listening, think the T the TWA terminal at John F. Kennedy Airport, that amazing building that's just been converted into a hotel last year. That is Aero Saarinen. There, it is so great. And they only they only spent fifteen million dollars on this thing, and it's really one of the most incredible structures I've seen in the United States, Brad. One of the things about it that's so impressive also is you don't realize until you're right there how absolutely tremendously large it is. Yeah, I know. What is it? It's uh, something like 650 feet uh, in the air. But the coolest thing, man, is like how you get up there. I remember in a vacation, they're like, uh, there's an elevator all the way to the top. And I started like, is there an elevator top? And there's stairs at the top. How the heck does that thing work? But uh, the big secret is uh, barrels, apparently, and they rotate over 150 degrees during your journey. Um, for you guys out there who are watching, think like Ferris wheel and stuff like that, how it goes around the loop and it stays, and it goes around the circle, but you stay in the same position. The same kind of technology, the same kind of a, of a thought. I highly recommend uh, going and check that out. It's so cool to me. And I know, Glenn, you, you have some other things that uh, are related to the Gateway Arch, including some of the, the riverboat tours and, and cruising down mm -hmm. the, the mighty Mississippi. Oh, yeah. you got to love cruising down the mighty Mississippi, right? And the cool thing about those riverboats is it's really that old-timey feel, the paddle boats that really make you feel like it was in the 19th century because they're actual replicas that look like that. A lot of effort has gone to do it. And you can do a lot of different things on them. You can just go for a short sightseeing cruise. You can go for a dinner cruise. There's specialty outings that you can go on depending on the season and the experiences that are there. It's really just a, a lot of, it's really a lot of fun. And I highly recommend you guys doing that. I know there, again, some of the more normal things to do in the city, but must have uh, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, St. Louis and, and the Midwest in general has so many of these really great, unique opportunities. And I think uh, sometimes the cities in the Midwest, like St. Louis and Kansas City and some of the other cities, uh, kind of get lost in the mm -hmm. shuffle. And I think uh, right. they shouldn't. No, they really shouldn't. Uh, you know, I could talk about, you know, again, like I said last week, like Las Vegas or New Orleans or Orlando all day long. But it's special cities like this that are fun, that are interesting, that are unique, that have a lot of fun, interesting things to do that really make it special and off the uh, off the radar, but really something worth checking out. And of course, Brett, the one thing that we have to talk about when it comes to St. Louis is beer, home of Anheuser-Busch, of course, right? Absolutely. All right, so I got I to admit to everybody, I'm not a fan of the Budweiser itself, but the good news is they've been buying up all the microbreweries that I love, so <laughs> that's pretty good. And I would highly recommend that you've got to go to their classic historic brewery out in Solard. Um, it's amazing. You've got the Clydesdales there. You can sample beers. You can get the beer master tour. Everything that you want to do to really understand what German immigrants went through in the 1800s um, when it came here and they created stuff and how um, they created this incredible beer that, well, I may not love the beer itself. It's really a story as, uh, this, you know, the American dream itself. They even have these cool natural escape formations there. We used to store beer prior to uh, artificial refrigeration. I love that they were smart, learned how to keep that beer nice and cold even before there was uh, technology to do it. 
Listen, if you're gonna have the ribs and you're gonna have the the, the toast, you know, you have all you might you might as well have a beer. You know, it, like you said, yeah, a, a good micro brewed beer is uh, is second to none. Yeah, I absolutely uh, love the, uh, the 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 micro brewed beers. I can't get enough of them. Man, I could drink a different beer every day, and that's one of the things that I love to do when I go to these cities, Brett. Is I I ask the servers, you know. What is your favorite thing, you know, when it comes to these beers? What's your favorite thing on the menu? I'd love to really get engaged in those conversations to try to discover stuff that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So when I'm on all these trips, dude, I get into as many conversations with as many people as possible to learn where the cool things are and what the great things to eat are. Glenn, before I let you go today, I cannot let you um, end our conversation about St. Louis without speaking about the large decapitated head statue. Yeah, I almost forgot to talk about that. In City Garden, guys. Now, this is, again, near where the stadium is. you got to go check it out. There's a massive sculpture by artist uh, Igor Mitaraj. And it's one of the many pieces of art that are scattered in here. But this is the Greek god of Eros. But it's only his head, and it's hanging on its side. And it's really weird, and it's really creepy. If you want to get a great Instagrammable picture, that is the place to go do it. So go to City Garden and just say, hey, Where's that large decapitated head? And they'll point you right to it. Glenn, I know this might be a big ask, and I, and I know we've known each other for a long time, but do you think it would be possible for every week, for every city, you find us a de- right. decapitated head in each city of some kind? I will try my best, and I know there's one place that I think does the uh, the seven tour, where it ends with where you get presented with a decapitated head. So that's one that you can't miss. I was kidding, Glenn. I didn't think you would have a second. De- I didn't think you were going to have a second decapitated head on BT Talks Baseball. Uh, but listen, that's just improv. Just say yes and and go with the flow. Go with the flow, <laughs> Glenn. Before before I let you go, as always, I lo- always like to hear what's going on on No Vacancy News podcast. What do you got coming up this week? That's a great question. I really wish I prepared for it. Honestly, <laughs> what we've been doing lately, what we've been doing lately, is been talking about uh, politics and stuff like that. Because we had the change in presidential administrations last week, um, I had on some high-level CEOs, the people that really lobby on Capitol Hill, the ones that speak to the political people up there to really understand what's going to be happening in terms of aid to bring to the hospitality industry, which is one of the things that I'm trying to help with. Making sure that all of the hotels out there and all the people, more importantly, that work in the hotels have jobs to go back to once this pandemic is over. Because, hey, if you're going to take a baseball road trip, you want to get the best services that you could possibly can. And that's why the hotels are so important and why I love those hospitality workers. Glenn Hausman, thank you so much for joining me. We will speak to you next week. Thanks, man. Keep it up. You're doing a great show. and Thanks for being part of it. See you next week, brother. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. Spread the word. All right. Um, Before we go, oops. Okay. Mike is, uh, Mike's watching two different games. He's watching a football game and a hockey game at the same time. He did not disconnect Glenn. Hey, before I, I, I sign off for the night, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I would really like the Mets to sign Brad Hand to bolster their bullpen. That is not going to happen, as it just came across the wire, that Brad Hand has signed a one-year, $10.5 million deal with the Washington Nationals. So not only does he not sign with the Mets... He doesn't sign with the Blue Jays, and he ends up in the National League East where he will be playing against the Mets. So the National League East team, the Braves are already good. The Mets we know are good. The Nationals uh, have now had some really good acquisitions this offseason. It's going to be interesting. Definitely very interesting. Okay, what a show. I want to thank my guest, Frank Calinato. 
author John Pessa, and of course, Glenn Hausman, my travel expert, uh, every week on the baseball road trip. Next week, I'm really excited because it is an off week for football, which means I will not be competing with any uh, football games. Uh, There's a bye week, of course, between the championship games and the Super Bowl. I will be joined by NFL expert Adam Schefter, and we're going to talk to Adam about baseball. Yeah, we're going to get him out of his comfort zone a little bit and see what Adam Schefter wants to talk about when it comes to baseball. Be sure to keep it tuned in right here on 365 Sportscast for Carpenter's Corner, followed by Mets, Com- Mets Clubhouse Confidential with Rich Catino. I will see you next week. Until then, with the words of the immortal Tug McGraw, you gotta believe.